Hi there, you're listening to the Steve Schramm Show, where we train Christians to become confident, passionate servants of Jesus so they can grow in their walk with God and share their faith more persuasively. Welcome to the show. On this episode, I have a excellent interview for you. My buddy Tim Stratton agreed to come on the show and talk about why we fight for free will. Does it matter that we preserve a doctrine, a teaching that man actually has the ability to make free decisions versus some kind of view that man is somehow predetermined, whether by God or by biology or whatever the case may be. And Tim is an expert in this area. Now, he pursued his undergraduate studies at the University of Nebraska Kearney uh, in 1997. He got his bachelor's. And after working full-time in ministry for several years, he went on to get his graduate degree from Biola University. Um, That's a master's in 2014. He's currently enrolled at Northwest University, pursuing his Ph.D. in systematic theology with a focus on metaphysics, history, and biblical data. Now, Tim is the founder of Free Thinking Ministries, where he regularly writes, speaks, podcasts, and creates videos promoting the truth of the Christian worldview. He's well known for his work discussing classic arguments for God's existence and most relevant to our discussion today, various issues surrounding the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. So without further ado, let's now go to my interview with none other than Tim Stratton. All right, Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks so much for having me on your show, Steve. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been really looking forward to this discussion uh, because, uh, you know, there are so many different, well, you and I make friends on, on all sides of the aisle. And what, right. we're, what we're talking about today is just one of those issues, man. It's, it's just one of those things that comes up from time to time. And there's there's people, good brothers and good sisters yeah. uh, on all sides of this. And what we want to do is try to make our case in the best way that we can. And we want to... Um, discuss this issue of free will and those listening know of of titled the episode why fight for free will Mm. and i I think that uh many of us want to want to affirm that both biblically speaking and just as we observe the world that there is a meaningful measure of uh, free will that god gives us and so that's really the heart of of our discussion uh, of our discussion today. So Tim, you know, this, this is not, uh, I provided you with some questions ahead of time and we've kind of chatted back and forth. Um, one thing I didn't write down that maybe just, you might want to say is like, what's going on lately right now? Like what, what's going on? What's next in ministry for you and life for you? Uh, how, how are things going? Well, I, I feel, uh, utterly blessed, uh, with what, um, God is doing right now. Uh, I've also got to say that this has been a very tough past several months for me, uh, just dealing with a lot of uh, uh, evil. Uh, I would say I've felt attacked uh, spiritually. I've had, uh, um, you know, friends uh, turn against me. (laughs) Um, And and so I've experienced some moral evil Um, and just dealing with natural evil. My right knee uh, got a staph infection in it. And I had to have surgery on that. They sliced it open. And it's uh, that was back in September. And I'm still healing from that. Uh, and then just a few, uh, just a couple weeks ago, 
I went blind in my left eye. Now, the eye doctor said, uh, miraculously, my vision seems to have been restored. He thought I, I was going to be blind forever in that eye. I actually wore an eye patch for several days, um, which was kind of cool because I kind of looked like, you know, the white Nick Fury. But um, <laughs> and, and kids were asking me if I was a pirate or an Avenger or whatever. Wow, you know, but, I love that. But, uh, but praise God, I got my, my eyesight back. But yeah, I did go blind in it for a while. Um, and they think it might actually be related. But it's been tough. I've been dealing with some affliction. You know, but as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.17, these light momentary afflictions prepare us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And I, I do uh, hold, I do believe that, and uh, it's really helped get me through. But with all that said, even through all these tough times recently, I feel completely blessed. Uh, God is using a, 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 a guy like me who really, there's nothing special about me, I promise you that, to to you know, make, make some waves for God's glory, um, around the world and through our website, uh, freethinkingministries.com. Uh, I'm just feel utterly blessed. So I just, uh, finished my PhD dissertation and submitted it. So now I await, um, to defend the dissertation. So hopefully soon I'll be, uh, an official PhD in, uh, in theology. So, man, and yeah, we'll see. man that is awesome that's really cool well i mean you know all honesty i i can't think of anyone more deserving that's really that's really cool Mm -hmm. really cool to see what god's doing thank you steve yes sir so you know speaking about the ministry that that you're in um you, you know a lot of times there are guys like me who, yeah, I'm a generalist. I talk about a lot of things. There are one or two topics I'm more so known for. Yeah. You're you're kind of, you know, in, in the same boat. I would say uh, maybe even to a higher degree, though. So, <laughs> so the name of your ministry is Free Thinking Ministries. And right. I, I first, when I first found you a couple of years ago, um, I, I think it was really through the time, the time period when I was learning more about something called Molinism, which I'm, I'm mm. sure we will talk about some uh, later yeah. on. And uh, so I discovered your ministry, Free Thinking Ministries, and how crazy um, to, to, to find a, a ministry that's essentially, you know, not wholly, uh, but, but essentially right. dedicated to the idea that man has uh, libertarian free will. And I know I'm, I'm throwing mm. a lot of terms out. There's a lot of loaded theological baggage behind some of those terms, and we're going to talk about those things as we go on. Um <laughs> But but you have a ministry that is at its core dedicated to preserving the idea that man has a a, a serious measure of free will when it comes to making decisions. So to start us off, uh, really, Tim, my simple question to you is why? I mean, why fight? <laughs> why fight for free will? Why dedicate your life basically to the cause of fighting for free will? Well, that's a great question. And, you know, actually, uh, do you know Jay Warner Wallace? Yes. yes uh, sure. Yeah. So I was with him and Frank Turek uh, not too long ago. And uh, we were having a good discussion. And and uh, Jim, or J, you know, short for Jay, Jay Warner, Warner Wallace. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jim said, uh, Tim, you know, you're really kind of pigeonholing yourself with all this uh, arguing for libertarian free will. And, uh, you know, you write about other things too, but 
maybe you should back off of this a little bit because you're really alienating half of your audience. Right. And then Frank, and then Frank Turek says, Jim, what are you talking about? This is his ex. This is, <laughs> this is uh, what, <laughs> what separates him from you and I and all the other apologists out there. Um, and so those two actually had a debate in front of my face as to what oh, I should no. do. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they're really close friends, you know? Yeah. Um, so this is something that I've actually wrestled with. Should I spend so much time uh, talking about this? And I also realized that, you know, our ministry seems to be the one that is doing it more than anybody else. And maybe that's a good thing. So I still feel that tension. But to answer your question, you know, why am I a libertarian freedom fighter? Well, I guess to put it simply, because I believe it's true. <laughs> I really believe it's true. And I argue for this truth based upon uh, morality, rationality, a true love, um, uh, biblical data, and uh, and the existence of hell. You know, these are uh, five really fantastic forces of freedom. And, you know, it started when I it really all started when I began thinking about what it means to be rational. Uh, that, this is the first uh, domino, I guess, for me. You know, the catalyst was probably back in, I think, 2011. And I was having a debate with a local atheist here in Nebraska who happened to be, you know, he was an influential biology professor at the local university here at the University of Nebraska at Kearney. And he was also the leader of the campus group called the Free Thinkers. And it, it was an atheist group. And this group uh, was making some waves on the campus and really throughout the entire community. He was constantly writing into the, uh, the local newspaper and the letters to the editor and things like that, talking about his free thinking atheist group and stuff like that, and uh, making some arguments uh, in the newspaper. Um, I was looking at these and trying to figure them out. And, uh, you know, I was a youth pastor at the time and students were bringing me these newspapers. And, uh, really that was one of the reasons that ultimately led me to Biola university to start being able to answer a lot of these questions. But at the time, uh, when I was having these conversations with this, uh, scientist, this atheist guy and the, the, the leader of the free thinkers, um, he and I are now friends. Uh, he's still an atheist. <laughs> Some of his colleagues <laughs> yeah. have become Christians, though. I'll tell you that wow. during this uh, time period. Yeah, because of these apologetics interactions. But at the time when I started talking to him, uh, I was actually opposed to the idea of libertarian freedom myself. But this was for theological reasons. I was a, a deterministic Calvinist. Um, and uh but we can we continued our conversations for a while back and forth, and it hit me that this so-called free thinker kept denying free will, and it occurred to me that I'm like, well, wait a second, if there's no free will, there's no free thinking, and you call yourselves the free thinkers, yet you're denying uh, what it takes to be a free thinker. So I started thinking about this more, and it occurred to me that if the soul, you know, what I call an immaterial thinking thing in the image of of God, in the image or likeness of God. Um, if humans uh, possess or if, if human nature uh, consists of a soul in the image of God, which would be an immaterial thing, then there would be something about humanity that would be free from the causal forces of nature. And so this ultimately led uh, to what has come to be known as the free thinking argument. So um, I guess, uh, should I give you 
the free thinking argument? Should yeah, I discuss yeah, that a bit? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the foundation, right, of yeah. what launched this thing. So go, yeah, let's right. go for it. Okay, so I'd say that uh, the first version of the argument I crafted is just three steps. It's two premises and a conclusion. So I call this the core um, of the argument, or, uh, uh, well, I guess I call it the core of the free thinking argument against naturalism. But first, let's just look at the core of the free thinking argument, because this is not against naturalism. It's simply for libertarian freedom. And it says nothing about God, Christianity, Calvinism, Molinism, Arminianism, open theism, <laughs> atheism, naturalism, or any other ism. Right. So, so it goes <laughs> like this, uh, just uh, three steps. One, if humans are not free in the libertarian sense, they cannot either rationally infer or rationally affirm claims of knowledge. Two, Humans can rationally infer and rationally affirm claims of knowledge. Three, conclusion, therefore, humans are free in the libertarian sense. So then uh, I expanded the argument and I added two additional premises, which simultaneously added two deductive conclusions and one powerful abductive conclusion. So here's uh, uh, my latest version of the Free thinking argument against naturalism. I've I've offered several different uh, formulations or or wordings of this argument, but really at the end of the day, each premise uh, means the same thing. Although I've tried to tighten some of the wording up, but anyway, it goes like this: One, if naturalism is true, the immaterial human soul does not exist. Two, if the soul does not exist, libertarian freedom does not exist. Three. If libertarian freedom does not exist, then it's impossible to either rationally infer or rationally affirm knowledge claims. Four, it is possible to rationally infer and rationally affirm knowledge claims. Five, therefore, libertarian freedom exists. Six, therefore, the soul exists. Seven, therefore, naturalism is false. And eight, the best explanation for the existence of libertarian freedom and the soul is the biblical view of God. And so uh, that last abductive conclusion is really the start of a new argument that I like to defend, but I'll skip that for now. But um, so with the argument in place, I don't know if, if yeah. we have time, should I try to defend each premise quickly? Um, yeah. Yeah. If you want to, sure. Why not? All right. So basically premise one is, synonymous with, uh, if naturalism is true, then nature is all that exists. So I think that's pretty straightforward. Right. Not, nobody's going <laughs> to uh, deny that. Absolutely. Um, I guess I don't want to say nobody would deny it. I've had some people try uh, when they were desperate. But <laughs> yeah. um, So premise two uh, seems to be tantamount to the following. If all that exists is nature, then all that exists, including everything about humanity, is causally determined via the laws of nature, the initial conditions of the Big Bang, quantum mechanics, and things outside of human control. Right, um, and that seems obvious, because what else is there? Right, it's, right. All, it's, it's all nature. Yeah, it seems to follow yeah. uh, logically there. So then premise three is equivalent with, if all things are causally determined, then that includes all thoughts and beliefs. <laughs> At least if we're going to count... Uh, or, you know, uh, assume thoughts and beliefs under Art. all things. Right. <laughs> right, right, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. So here's the problem. If our thoughts and beliefs, all of them, are always forced upon us, and we could never have chosen better thoughts and beliefs 
then we are simply left assuming that our determined thoughts and beliefs are good, let alone that our beliefs are true. Therefore, we could never rationally affirm that our beliefs really are the inference to the best explanation. Right. We could only assume it. And that assumption would not be up to us either. Um, It's something completely out of one's control. So, you know, I think uh, William Lane Craig has referred to this as a kind of vertigo that sets in. Um, And speaking of uh, Craig, uh, both he and Moreland uh, wrote this in uh, Philosophical Foundations for a Christian Worldview. They say, if one is to have justified beliefs, then one must be free to obey or disobey epistemic rules. Otherwise, uh, one could not be held responsible for his intellectual behavior. So we're we're not just talking about uh, actions, physical actions here. We're talking about uh, thinking here. Um, Right. And, yeah. And just to kind of distill yeah. that, I wrote down the word, I wrote down the word rationality. Um, right. Because, you know, again, framing it in terms of the question, the question is why fight for free will? And uh, the answer is that nobody, whether you're an atheist or whether you're a, a Christian or a materialistic naturalist or just you could just name off all the isms and the ists that you want to. Right. No matter what, if you if, if you don't have a view that allows you to be rational, then mm-hmm. what then when you argue, by definition, you are being <laughs> irrational. And, exactly. And so yes. that seems so while there are multiple layers, there are, there are many things going on here. Again, I wanna I wanna make things really simple because not everybody who listens you know to this podcast is as nerdy as I am Uh, so I just want to make things really simple to to, and kind of distill them down like what we're talking about here is the ability to to think and come to real conclusions about things that uh, that we could say are true Uh, if we have no way to be rational um, we can't say anything is objectively actually true we can't rationally affirm that and what you're saying is that if you don't have limit well if you don't have some sort of limit of libertarian freedom um freedom in the libertarian sense as you put it then this is impossible we can't we can't affirm anything rationally on the right track exactly on the right track and and so i'll tell you i mean the significant problem for the atheist or at least the naturalist, all naturalists are atheists. You know, right. I guess you can be an atheist and not be a naturalist, but, um, but all naturalists are atheists. So here's the problem for the, the naturalist. It, it logically follows that if naturalism is true, then naturalists or anyone for that matter can't possess uh, justification for their beliefs, which I think most would affirm is typically minimally required for knowledge. And one can happen to have true beliefs. However, if they do not possess justification for a specific belief, then their belief does not qualify as a knowledge claim. And so, you know, with that in mind, if one can't freely infer the best explanation, then one has no uh, justification that their belief really is the best explanation. And, uh, you know, without justification for a belief, any claim of knowledge regarding a said belief, seems to go down the drain and all we're left with is is question begging assumptions and that's a logical fallacy so right yes and, and yeah. so we have this uh this interesting tension here because most people who call themselves free thinkers are uh th- they say that as some kind of uh thing that separates them from being a uh a theist usually i mean that's the right. sense as which they want that's the sense in which they want to say that they are a 
a free thinker. They they are not bound by uh, thoughts that are, um, I guess, required of them by any sort of deity or any sort of external forces, really. They, they are able mm-hmm. to think for <clears throat> themselves. And, and the irony is that that is false. On naturalism, you are uh, basically beholden to your biology um, and the laws of physics, uh, just kind of interacting with that. So I think that uh, what what we so let's do this. Let's let's take a look at real quick. I don't even know the best way to word this, but you know, obviously we're Christians. You and I affirm uh, Christianity. We affirm there's you know one God, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, the God of uh, Christianity, Jesus Christ, yep. uh, death, burial, resurrection. You know that's our that Amen. is our, that is our view. Amen is right. So. <laughs> So we have that, and of course we know there are there are lots of other views, etc. But on the Christian view, on the view that we take, everybody else is, you know, I mean, functionally an atheist, uh, right? I mean, so because they either believe in a god that doesn't exist or whatever. So, so <laughs> okay. right, or or natu- or 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 some sort of naturalism. So we've already kind of talked about on the naturalism side of things. So obviously we believe if there is, if there was never any creator God, then um, let's say the other alternative is naturalism. So we've already talked about that, you know, naturalism uh, has a problem of biology and the laws of physics and we have issues there. But now what about on the other side? Because when you started out the discussion, you said that you used to be a deterministic Calvinist, you know, and and yeah. went on down the line. Now we'll talk a little bit more about some of these things in a minute. But what's the problem with affirming? I guess you, would you say that you were a theological determinist? Um, oh yeah. Yes. So would, yes, I was. So yeah. would you say that we have the same we have the same issue there? Yep. <laughs> yeah, we do. Uh, great question. Um, you know. Okay. So here's a, a thought experiment uh, that I've been offering that I think might help explain why it's a problem for anybody, not just the naturalist, but for the Christian who affirms uh, exhaustive determinism across the board, um, as the naturalist does. Uh, They just affirm determinism for different reasons. So uh, consider, or suppose a mad scientist exhaustively controls and causally determines all of your thoughts and beliefs all the time. And this includes exactly what you think of and about and exactly how you think of and about it. All of your thoughts about your beliefs and all of your beliefs about your thoughts are caused and determined by the mad scientist. And this also includes the next words that will come out of your mouth. (laughs) So question, how can you, not the mad scientist, rationally affirm the current thoughts and beliefs in your head as good, bad, better, the best, true, or probably true. Note the range of options from which to choose without begging the question. Good luck with that. It's impossible. Huh. So wow. so then, you know, just replace the mad scientist here in this thought experiment with either physics and chemistry or God or anything else. And one has the exact same rationality problems, but for different reasons. But since humanity does possess the ability to rationally infer and affirm knowledge claims, and to argue otherwise is to affirm it, then we know that we possess the libertarian freedom to think and take certain steps while deciding what we ought to affirm and believe. And since libertarian freedom seems to be metaphysically impossible, uh, if humanity is nothing but physical stuff, we can rationally infer that humanity is more than merely 
the physical. So anyway, Steve, I started fighting for freedom against atheists and naturalists. Uh, to my surprise, many Christians began to team up with the atheists <laughs> to fight against my argument. Wow! Yeah. <laughs> and this forced me to fight this battle for freedom on two different fronts. And so uh, one front is against those who oppose the church and the other is against some of my brothers and sisters behind the doors of the church. It's really kind of crazy, but right. I spend so much of my time fighting two different battles. Uh, and really, the, my PhD focus, I originally wanted to just go and attack uh, atheistic naturalism. Um, but I was just overwhelmed by objections from Christians, especially Calvinists, uh, the, the, uh, which I used to be. Right. Um, so and, you've been there, done that. You, you bought the T-shirt. Right. You kind of know yeah. the, the territory. <laughs> right, right. And uh, just so many objections were coming my way. I thought, well, man, I've, I've got to switch from – I actually switched my uh, doctoral degree. I started in the philosophy department, and I switched to the uh, theology department because I was going to really wow. uh, spend a lot of that time um, dealing with the – objections coming from my brothers and sisters behind the doors of the church. So my master's degree at Biola, um, I, I did my master's thesis specifically against naturalism. I was going to keep adding to that, but I shifted it and uh, went against both naturalistic determinism, but primarily against uh, uh, theological determinism. Well, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. So, um, and crazy that you had to to change. I mean, your your entire focus really around right. that because of the where the opposition was coming from. So yep. let's start to piece some things together. So we kind of have an answer to the question of of why. Like, why are we fighting for this for this thing? Um, let's let's talk about what this thing is. Um, you know, the the term that we're talking about is libertarian free will. And in in fact, I'd like you to kind of, and I'm sure you'll get here, but I'd like you to kind of explain specifically what you mean by limited libertarian, libertarian free will. Yeah. So explain what you mean by kind of by these concepts and we'll, we'll kind of toss that back and forth for a few minutes. Okay. Um, so libertarian free will or simply libertarian freedom. Uh, you know, I think, I think the word will gets really confusing for people. So I've, uh, I'll talk about libertarian free will, but normally I just call it libertarian freedom. I say that humans possess libertarian freedom, okay. but but we can call it libertarian free will too. <clears throat> um, so this libertarian freedom can be most simply defined as a conjunction of a rejection of compatibilism, which we can talk about later, along with the claim that humans at least occasionally possess free will. So that is to say that Libertarian freedom affirms, uh, or that libertarianism affirms that we possess freedom of moral and rational responsibility, and that the freedom necessary for responsible action is not compatible with determinism. Um, so uh, libertarianism then would be the view that, uh, one, free will is incompatible with determinism, and two, that some of our actions are free. Now, some maintain that an agent is free in a libertarian sense, only if they possess the freedom to think or act otherwise. Seems, however, that if an agent is ever uncaused and is simply the source of his or her thought or action, even if the agent, for some weird reason, can't think or act otherwise, uh, if they're just the source and they're not caused or determined by something else, but they're simply the source, then they're still free 
in a libertarian sense. So we can distinguish between uh, the principle of alternative possibilities, or what I call the PAP, uh, or, <laughs> or the ability the ability to do otherwise yeah. version of libertarian freedom, and the source version, right? The sourcehood version now uh, of libertarian freedom. Both appear to be true, I think, and I can argue for both of those. But while the the PAP or the principle of alternative possibilities or the ability to do otherwise is sufficient for libertarian freedom uh, and libertarian free will. That is to say, if you possess the ability to do otherwise, then you possess libertarian free will. I don't think that that is always necessary. Uh, the source version, however, if you're if you're ever uncaused, if you're the source of any of your thoughts or actions, um, uh, then well, I just say the source version of libertarian freedom is necessary. Uh, gotcha. So. Be that as it may, I typically defend a specific definition of libertarian freedom. I, I'll defend all these definitions, but the one I really like to focus on uh, seems to entail both versions, I think. And that is this. I, I say that uh, the definition of libertarian freedom that I'm going to defend primarily is the ability to choose between or among a range of alternative options, each of which is compatible with one's nature. So, yeah, that's what I like to defend. Yeah, and, and that makes that makes sense because, like, you know, I've heard I've heard thought experiments that you know try to try to demonstrate right that <laughs> we don't have that we don't have free will, and it's like, well, you know, you can't you can't just like you know you don't have the the, the free choice to sprout wings and fly, right? Right, 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 the, right, and, and that. Um, that is not that is not what we're trying to say when, right. we, when we say that we have free will. We simply have the ability to do a, otherwise to to do something other than what what we would have been determined to do, so to speak, in in, in various circumstances. You know, I have the decision mm -hmm. right now to keep talking, or I can stop talking. And um, the determinist would have to say that whatever I keep doing, um, okay, fine, I did it, but I'm not the one who made that decision. Like, that ultimately was determined by something else. And what you're saying is, no, you were the source of that decision and you had the ability to do otherwise. You could have shut your trap, but instead you decided to ramble on. And um, so <laughs> I think that's what you're saying, right? Making this really practical. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I would just say, even if for some weird reason you didn't have the ability to do otherwise, as long as you're the source of it and nothing else is causally determining you to do it uh, in any form or fashion, uh, then you're still free in a libertarian sense. Yeah. But I do argue for the ability to do otherwise as well. Sure, sure. At least sometimes. Now, I would say that I think sometimes uh, we're, we are determined in a lot of things uh, that I do. And maybe some of the things I choose are determined. Uh you know, or at least what seems to be a choice. Um, but I argue that this cannot be applied across the board. It can't be a, an, a universal or exhaustive kind of things because I give specific arguments for times where libertarian freedom is necessary. Right. Right. And, and so I'm just trying to think of, uh, uh, I'm really bad at making illustrations in general, but I just thought of something. So help me out here. Um, you know, let's just say, let's talk about a decision that maybe you were in some ways determined, at least you were determined to have to make the choice, right? Like, so, uh, right. say somebody runs me off the road, I'm driving down the road and 
like whereas normally I just would have continued on. It would have been my decision to keep continuing on. Let's say that a tractor trailer moves into my lane and starts running me off the road. I'm now forced to make a decision. I can, um, you know, I, you know, I can I can run further into the ditch and hopefully save my life. I can I can you know slam on the brakes and hope that the tractor trailer just outpaces me and I don't get caught in the aftermath of that. Now I still mm. have the the ability to make the decision here, but in some ways I was determined to have to choose by a force that was external to me. Um, am I hitting? Yeah. Am I am I kind of getting in the in the groove there? <clears throat> well, I think the analogy or the illustration you've just offered um, that's more about reactions. Okay. Um, it's definitely not a rational kind of process where you're thinking and weighing uh, the inference to the best explanation at that moment. Um, you know, I, as a former MMA fighter and uh, MMA coach, um, you know, I think uh, when I'm when I was sparring or competing, I wasn't. I, I think I was. Uh, I, I made the free choice to enter into the cage. Right. <laughs> right. But, <laughs> um, but when I'm fighting, uh, I've trained myself to react. And so I don't have to think. Um, but Interesting. during the training process, I've made a lot of free decisions. Uh, what was I going to push through being tired and go to the gym? Was I going to listen to my coach? Um, was I going to take his advice? Was I going to learn from my mistakes? You know, uh, how was I going to react to uh, a loss or a defeat? Was I, you know, uh, things like that. There's a lot of free choices that went into the mix that then ultimately led to a situation where I was no longer making free choices, at least arguably. I think maybe a, another way to look at it, too, is I, I think, um, uh, you know, there's a, there's a sense in which um, when, when I go to a restaurant, I'm looking at the menu uh, and trying to decide what it is that my nature desires more than other things on the menu. And it seems to me um, that I might be anyway, I, at least for the sake of argument, I'd be willing to grant, well, in this case, um, in some sense, perhaps I'm determined uh, to pick the, what I, you know, pick off the menu based on my greatest desires, based upon my nature, which is uh, not up to me. Right. Um, and I'm fine with that, but that's not the kind of thing that I'm arguing. Uh, I'm saying there's different situations and scenarios, especially when it comes to rationality, morality, um, uh, true love, and, uh, and other issues that demand libertarian freedom. Uh, we cannot uh, appeal to, um, hey, look, our natures are determined by something other than the human and uh, our nature is determined our greatest desire and we always choose right in every situation desire in every situation now, if that's the fact if, if that's the case <clears throat> then we've got significant rationality problems again and you know as alan planiga argues with his evolutionary argument against naturalism what he shows is look uh naturalists on uh on your view combining naturalism with evolution your choices are always based upon survival, not for not, they're not aimed at truth. Right. Well, if somebody's going to say, I always choose based on my greatest desire, which is uh, determined by my nature, which is determined by God or physics and chemistry or anything else. Uh, well, then 
you have a rationality problem once again, because even your choice as to what you're going to say is the inference to the best explanation is not aimed at truth. It's aimed at your greatest desires, what you want to be true. So your wants and desires might not be corresponding with truth. Oh, wow, <laughs> yeah. you, you got the same problem. Real problems that there. Planiga shows uh, the naturalists have with evolution, but for different reasons. It's the same problem, but for different reasons. So anyway, uh, I, what I say is, look, there's some thought experiments that can be offered that shows there's some situations that we might not have libertarian freedom. That's fine. I'm giving arguments showing there's some situations in which you have to have libertarian freedom. And I don't deny that there are some times that we don't have it. I just argue that occasionally we have it. And so I argue against the exhaustive determinist, whether it's an exhaustive naturalistic determinist or an, an exhaustive divine determinist. Yeah, well, that's a pretty modest, I mean, claim. I mean, yeah, it requires defense, but it, but it's a modest claim. And, yeah. you know, I think the fact that you can even defend the claim it proves it. <laughs> you, yeah, <right. laughs> you, you know, you can rationally defend the claim. Uh, you know, this right. is this is one of those kind of ultimate metaphysical, like, kind of issues that just you, you can get really in the weeds quickly talking about the different scenarios so you yeah. know I, I apologize to to anyone who's like oh my goodness I'm so confused but but I mean I think what it really comes down to is whether or not everything is determined you say no you say it would be That's impossible right. to even be rational if that was the case and so yep. you're not denying that you know, there are circumstances in which maybe um you know, you could you could make an argument or you, or a thought experiment. You could offer a thought experiment that things are determined, that you are determined to to make a certain decision according to your nature. But that that does not happen exhaustively, and that in right. fact there are sometimes when that can't be the case if you want to affirm rationality and that some things are really really true. So good, uh, yeah, I think that's that's a really helpful explanation. So. You know, you mentioned that the the issue for a lot of people is actually like of, of a of a theological nature. In other words, it's people from the Christian side who actually are saying, "No, this is not the case. God has uh, exhaustively determined everything from before the foundation of the world." Uh, and as a matter of fact, you used to be one of these uh, one of these individuals who would have said yeah. that uh, by your own admission. So, what I want to know then, because a lot of people. Uh, who, who, uh, a lot of Christians who claim that you're arguing for free will, what they'll do is they'll say that, well, you're just trying to make things sound good with philosophy. They'll even go so far as to say that, that you, you're just bringing in humanistic philosophy into the biblical picture, and the Bible warns against using vain philosophy and this, that, and the other <laughs> thing. So, so what I want to know is, does the Bible teach this? Do we see scenarios or even direct statements or whatever in the Bible where we can say, as a Christian, that we can affirm this idea of having free, free will or uh, libertarian freedom? Right. Uh, with the definition of libertarian freedom that I offered— in mind, uh, the answer is affirmative. Y yes, the Bible does imply that at least some people, some of the time, possess the ability to choose between a range of alternatives, uh, each of which are compatible with human nature. So in the second chapter of my PhD dissertation, I documented that there seemed to be ample scriptural support for libertarian freedom. Uh, again, the ability to choose between a range of options, each compatible with one's nature. Um, uh, man, the Apostle Paul, 
the same guy who wrote Romans 9 makes many <laughs> claims suggesting that his audience possesses this type of freedom, at least on occasion. Uh, for example, uh, consider one of my favorite uh, passages in the Bible. It's Galatians 5.13. And Paul says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. So here, Paul's clear that those he's writing to possess the freedom and ability to choose between a range of options, each of which is compatible with their sinful natures. Namely, a choice to satisfy sinful and selfish desires or to serve others in love. However, uh, one of the most significant arguments is based on Paul's teachings in 1 Corinthians 10.13. And there he writes, uh, he, he says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So, with Paul's words in mind, the syllogism based on this text might be stated this way. One, if Christians possess the ability to choose between a range of options consistent with their nature, then they possess libertarian freedom. Two, Christians possess the ability to choose between giving into temptation or to take the way of escape God promises to provide in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Three, conclusion, therefore, Christians possess libertarian freedom. So uh, the first premise simply defines what is meant by libertarian freedom. And thus the only premise in this argument is uh, that the determinant, the the determined determinist is left to attack here is the second. However, this puts the divine determinist in a very awkward and uncomfortable position if he also claims to be a Bible-believing Christian. Indeed, the Christian who rejects premise two opposes a plain and common-sense interpretation of the Apostle Paul's words. And since God has provided at least some people, Christians, with an ability not to sin, Christians, therefore, are able not to fall into temptation. So it logically logically follows then that whenever a Christian commits a sin, he did not have to miss the mark because there was a genuine ability for him to do otherwise, a way of escape. And this is exactly what is meant by libertarian freedom. The Christian, at least, possesses the ability to choose between a range of options, in this case, to sin or not to sin, both of which are consistent with his regenerated nature. Therefore, when someone freely chooses to sin, when a Christian freely chooses to sin, at least, and he was able not to sin, it follows that he is genuinely responsible for his sin. Think about this. Uh, responsibility come, uh, entails an ability. Responsibility entails an ability to sin or not to sin. So anyway, since premise one of this argument is true by definition and and premise two is supported by the inspired word of God, uh, Christians <laughs> have good reason, biblical reason, to affirm a limited libertarian freedom. That is to say that the Bible is clear that at least some people possess the ability to choose between a range of options consistent with their natures, even if their natures are determined by God. And to say it another way, by God's grace, Christians can choose to sin or take the way of escape promised by God. Now, uh, 
if people want to look into this um, more, I've offered other biblical passages to consider in, uh, yeah. in an article entitled Molinism is Biblical on the freethinkingministries.com website. So okay. um, I'll link everybody and, uh, to that. Yeah. And stay tuned for my yet to be published PhD dissertation. I've got a lot more. <laughs> that is awesome, man. I love cool. that. that. That's really awesome. And you really started to hit on the thing there. Um, of of responsibility of moral of moral culpability because like let's just let's just take that for a second like if if you're not right about that passage which seems uh, hard to say because of the, the defense that you offer for it but if you're not right about that then what follows like what follows from that what follows what follows from those decisions um actually having been things that were determined by God not being decisions right. at all it seems to me that that would that would that would make it to where God's accomplished will in your life was to choose that which he has he has through the apostle paul you know offered you the ability not to <laughs> yeah right. right i mean does that make sense yeah. so well you're you're making sense of a <laughs> view that doesn't make sense right <laughs> right sense. you right. understand this nonsensical view right. right exactly right exactly right so if we want to say that we have actual meaningful moral culpability then we need to affirm this um, mm-hmm. we need to, we need to affirm this. And, and so that, you know, that leads me to the next question real quick. So, um, it, it's not as though, now there are some, okay, like, and again, let me, let me just reiterate before, but because we're diving into, to, to, to hostile territory here. Um, you know, Tim and I both, we love our brothers and sisters who disagree with us on, on, on very many things. And Calvinism, um, is one of those things that Tim and I both, I think, disagree with. And, and um, there's a particular, and I don't know too much about, uh, about from the perspective of those who affirm Calvinism. I don't know. I, I think there would be a difference between one who is hardcore theological determinism, um, theological determinist, and then one who would consider himself to be a compatibilist. But I don't know if that's true. Now, you've mentioned compatibilism once already. Um, it seems to me that a person who wants to affirm uh, compatibilism um, might take what you just said and say something like, "Well, but there's a difference, really. It, there's what you said doesn't really entail limit uh, libertarian freedom. It, it affirms compatibilistic freedom. So, can you kind of explain what you understand compatibilism to be, and, and does that explanation really work?" Uh, um, no, I don't think it works. But first of all, just let me say that. The, the definition of libertarian freedom that I defend primarily uh, has the word compatible in it. So remember, uh, I say that libertarian freedom is simply the ability to choose between a range of alternative options, each of which is compatible with one's nature. So uh, the deterministic compatibilist, uh, compatibilist assumes there's only one thing that's always compatible with your nature. Well, I say, why think a thing like that? When, <laughs> when, uh, why can't God create uh, create us with natures that allow um, uh, the ability to choose between a range of options that are each compatible with our natures? So then I go further and argue that God does do that. So I, um, <clears throat> the deterministic, look, I guess one could say I'm a libertarian compatibilist, <laughs> yeah, I <like laughs> and that. I argue, I, like I argue against deterministic compatibilists. Um, but anyway, uh, like I said er- earlier, um, there can be thought experiments uh, showing uh, that compatibilism 
might be the case. Uh, that deterministic compatibilism might be the case sometimes. I affirm that. In fact, my uh, going to the restaurant and ordering off the menu yeah. comments earlier are a form of compatibilism. And and what I talked about, about how uh, we always choose according to our greatest desire, um, that would be an instance of compatibilism. But then I also demonstrated that there's severe problems with that. You're going to run into the same problems that the naturalist has when it comes to the evolutionary argument against naturalism, um, but for different reasons. So I guess before I go on, let me define compatibilism the way it's typically and traditionally understood. And that is this. Uh, compatibilism entails the thesis that free will or responsibility is compatible with determinism. So with that uh, thesis in mind, one can actually be a libertarian, reject determinism, and also affirm this thesis. Uh, however, I do not argue against this thesis <laughs> all the time. I, I argue that this thesis does not actually correspond to reality, at least not university, universally, <laughs> not university, right. but not universally or all the time. That is my argument. And to argue, <laughs> to attack something else when you're dealing with my arguments is to attack a straw man. So you have the, the compatibilist or the determinist, I grant some of those issues, I, or I grant some of those arguments some of the time. My argument is that you cannot apply it across the board all the time. And so you have to show me where I'm wrong there, right? So anyway, let's see if, if compatibilism, the way they define it, and let's, let's call it deterministic compatibilism, is true by way of a syllogism. And, and to reiterate, the word true that you're going to see here in the first premise refers to what is called the correspondence theory of truth. So uh, when I say if compatibilism is true, that means if the thesis of compatibilism, deterministic compatibilism, actually describes the way things always are. So that's what I mean by right. if compatibilism is true. Okay, so here's my argument. Premise one, if compatibilism is true, then determinism is true. Two, if determinism is true, <clears throat> excuse me, then no human possesses the libertarian freedom to ever think otherwise. Three, if one does not ever possess the libertarian freedom to think otherwise, then he cannot rationally affirm knowledge claims. Four, some Calvinists have rationally affirmed that compatibilism is true. Five, therefore, it is possible to rationally affirm knowledge claims. Six, therefore, some Calvinists possess the libertarian freedom to think otherwise. Seven, therefore, determinism and compatibilism are false. So, that's just, I have several arguments against Beautiful. Uh, compatibilism. That's one of them. Yeah, no, I, I like that. And hey, anytime you can you can stick some premises in a conclusion in a syllogism, uh, I mean, it's, it makes things really clear, right? <laughs> really helpful. So, right. Um, yeah, no, I like that. I, th I mean, I think that makes sense. I would argue against it, except I agree with you and don't know how I would argue against it. So, hey, <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, honestly, so, so this idea... Um, and again, it's always seemed to me, and again, this is this may just be because I, I uh, you know, trouble understanding it or whatever. I don't know, but it's always seemed to me that compatibilism, saying that you're a compatibilist, is just to like, I don't know, almost to define something into existence. Oh, you know, well, <laughs> compatibilism means free will is compatible <clears throat> with determinism. Okay, yeah. Well, you've said that, but. Uh, 
can you actually show that? And, and that's where I kind of, uh, yeah, I kind of doubt that in all cases you can show um you can show where that's true. And I've never also understood this idea that you can only do in every single circumstance that which is compatible or whatever with your greatest desire. It seems to me that there are times when I choose to do things for the sake of others that aren't my greatest <laughs> desire. Right. Um, I think Paul teaches that we're supposed to do that. Yeah, I actually right? think so too. Yes, <laughs> I, I think so too. Uh, and, you know, so anyway, um, I think that that is kind of a sinking ship. So I like the idea of a libertarian compatibilist. That 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 uh, <laughs> that makes sense to me. Well, I'll tell you this, Steve. That just that that term came into my head right now with you for the first time. The libertarian compatibilist. So, <laughs> so it's on your show where that idea is first offered. All so right, all let right, it, all let right. Let it be known. That yeah. sounds, <laughs> man, that sounds great. That sounds great. I'll, uh, I'll yeah. make sure you put my name in the credits for all future. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. So, so, uh, so let's, um, so let's do this. Let's wrap the discussion up today, uh, nicely in a bow with a, a brief discussion, um, on something that I have talked about before, uh, with, with my audience. So they're kind of familiar with this. I've also written a, a post about my views on this on, on my blog. Um, one of the things that you're very well known for kind of a defense of is is Molinism, this idea mm -hmm. of Molinism. And, and because the tension here, like there's kind of been this natural progression from where we started uh, the discussion. And so now this tension arises um, for the Christian because, because now the Christian has to, uh, you know, we've seen all these biblical reasons and we've seen the definitions that you're using and you've offered it defenses of, of these views now that show we have free will. Uh, but then, but then we also have to realize that as Christians, we, we hold fundamentally, I mean, a fundamental part of our belief is that we believe in a God who is sovereign yes. and, and, and by sovereign, now that could be a, you know, a, a loaded term, but, but by sovereign, um, and when we look at some of God's attributes, you know, we mean that God ultimately um, has control over mm -hmm. over the world we live in. Uh, God, in order to be God, by 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 any philosophical definition of God, which I've, uh, me and Tim both have our own podcasts and blog posts where we talk about mm -hmm. this kind of stuff. You can look at, but basically. There are certain things that are entailed by our definition of God. We believe God is all-knowing. We believe he's all-powerful. We believe that God knows everything that will eventually happen, and we even believe that he knew this before he created anything. So, That's right. So the question, <laughs> the question that becomes, how do we hold these ideas in tension? How, how can we say, on one hand, that God is sovereign and in control of everything, so to speak, and on the other hand, say that we actually have free will. We can make free decisions. So this wraps up together nicely, I believe, in, in a bow called Molinism. Um, and again, this is one of Tim's main specialties. So Tim, would you care just to give a kind of a brief explanation, as brief as you can, I guess, of, yeah. of, of Molinism and then kind of, you know, explain just some simple thoughts around that? I'd love to. Uh, yeah. So a flyover of Molinism, this won't be exhaustive by any means, but uh, Molinism contributes greatly to this discussion because Molinism uh, is simply a model demonstrating how all things can be predestined exhaustively by a totally sovereign God, while humans can really be 
free in a libertarian sense and responsible for something. So uh, God can predestine all things while humans can be free and responsible for some things. Now, at face value, that statement seems contradictory, but Molinism shows that it's not. Now, I'll say this, Molinism is not a, soteric, uh, a soteriological view, at least necessarily. It can be applied to soteriology, and by soteriology, uh, for your listeners, that simply means issues related to salvation. But I do apply it to soteriology and issues related to salvation, but you don't have to. So to your Calvinist listeners out there, let me say this. Um, you can still hold to five-point tulip Calvinism. I reject the I. I actually affirm of, uh, the other four points, at least a version of them. Um, but if you feel like you must affirm all five points of tulip, you can also affirm Molinism, or what I like to call mere Molinism. Um, so let me start by explaining this view. Uh, Molinism is derived from the last name of Luis de Molina, who was a Spanish theologian from the 16th century. Uh, and Molinism grounds uh, God's sovereignty not only in his omnipotence, as divine determinists solely focus, but also considers God's omniscience. Steve, you were talking about all of God's attributes. Well, I, I contend that Molinism is the only view of God's sovereignty that can make sense of all oh. of God's omni-attributes altogether never, all at once. Never so, thought about that. That's good. Yeah, yeah. I've got some arguments to make my case, but <laughs> I'll just keep going here. Uh, Molina pointed out that since God is all-powerful, he's omnipotent, uh, he can really do all different kinds of things, and that means there's some things that he never does. Right. If he can really right. do all things, <laughs> right. then that means there's some things he never does. But if God is all powerful and omnipotent, then God has the ability to create many different what we call possible worlds, including worlds with creatures who he does not always causally uh, determine. So that's simply to say that God has the power to create beings who possess libertarian freedom. And God also had the power to not create any world at all. He could have just remained in a static state of aseity, perfectly content as a trinity. Uh, yet by grace, he chose to create. Uh, however, if God was powerful enough to create different kinds of worlds, even though he didn't, since God is also all-knowing, he's omniscient, then God would perfectly know all that would have happened in each of these potential worlds that are within God's power to create. And if God chose to create, or if God chose to create them, I should say, and even if he never does. So this is, yeah, this is even the case of God never brought these other possible worlds into actual existence. God still knows what would have happened if he created any of these worlds within his power to bring into actual existence. So this full view of God's omniscience then uh, includes what is referred to as middle knowledge, which is pivotal to Molinism. So, all right, so what is middle knowledge? Uh, what is this kind of knowledge in the middle of? <laughs> uh, mi <laughs> middle knowledge is uh, it's between God's natural knowledge and his free knowledge. <laughs> and let, your, your listeners might be like, what is he talking Whoa, about? Oh, head spinning, yeah. right? Right. Well, most Christians have, don't worry, most Christians have never heard of these terms before. But God's natural knowledge simply means uh, everything he knows that he could actualize. That's all potential situations within God's power, an omnipotent God's power, 
to make actual. And this includes a whole bunch of things that he never makes actual. <laughs> um, middle knowledge uh, refers to the fact that God knows everything that would happen if he were to create a certain world within his power to actualize, and even if he never creates it. That's just middle knowledge. He knows all that would happen if he did it. And God's free knowledge simply means that God knows all that will happen in the world he has chosen to create. So it's it's what God knows what could, would, and will. Right, and that, that's how I try to simplify it for people. Mo- most people understand the distinction between those words. So it's, yeah, natural knowledge is, is what God could do um, or what could happen. Uh, free yeah. knowledge is what will happen. And uh, middle knowledge is what would happen under different circumstances. Yeah, yeah. I like to say it's what would happen if. So in a nutshell, if God is always omniscient, right, eternally without beginning, which I think most Calvinists would want to affirm, um, most Christians in general would want to affirm that, that God is always omniscient, eternally without beginning, um, then God, if that's the case, perfectly knows all that could happen and all that will happen. And he also knows all that would have happened in different situations he could have created, all that would have happened if. That is to say, God knows all that could, would, and will happen. And middle knowledge brings the wood. (laughs) Middle knowledge brings the wood. So yeah, this gets a bit technical and we can get into deeper philosophical and theological (laughs) waters here, but it's vital to note that God's knowledge of what could and would happen is uh, what we say is logically prior, logically before God's decree to create the universe or, or the actual world. And God's knowledge of what will happen is foreknowledge in the universe is logically after, not chronologically after, but simply logically after his creative decree. So, you know, I've mentioned mere Molinism uh, and that tulip Calvinists can affirm mere Molinism. They don't have to apply it to soteriology. But they can simply affirm mere Molinism uh, because mere Molinism, uh, what I mean by mere is not what you look into, but M-E-R-E, <laughs> mere Molinism entails two essential ingredients. That's one, logically prior to God's decision to create the world, God knew everything that would happen in any possible scenario he could create. Now, if that's true, God possesses middle knowledge. And two, it also entails this, as beings created in the image of God, humans, like God, at least some humans, possess libertarian freedom, the ability to choose between a range of options, each of which is compatible with human nature. So we've already shown that at least some humans, at least Christians, have the ability at least some of the time to choose between a range of options, each of which is compatible with their regenerated nature. Well, if those actions are sincerely free in a libertarian sense, then how are we going to say that God is sovereign over those choices? Um, And are we going to say that God knew these free choices logically prior to his creative decree. If we are going to say that, then middle knowledge and mere Molinism is the only game in town. Right. Yes. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And just again, like, and most of the people who listen to this show are, are able to follow what you just said there. But I always like to, 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 um, you know, to bring things really down to earth. One of the examples, uh, of course, one of the major proponents for this uh, view, middle knowledge and Molinism, uh, is our, uh, uh, well, well, your friend and my aspiring friend, uh, Dr. William Lane Craig. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Dr. Craig, uh, of course, obviously, um, 
I disagree with him on my share of things, but certainly not on this right. issue. Love yeah. love his work on this issue. And one of the examples that he uh, that he uses to kind of illustrate this is really telling. Um, he'll say something like this: that the God that God knows exactly what choice you would have made if you were in the shoes of Pontius Pilate and had to make the decision to crucify Jesus, mm. or if yeah. I were if I were in that position. And, and what that means is that. It's not saying that God knows what he would have determined you to do if you were in that position. It's actually affirming that you have the ability, just like Pilate did. Pilate had the ability, and you would have had the ability, to make the choice whether or not to ultimately to crucify Jesus. And God knows exactly what you would do if you were in that situation. Now that to me, when you think about the implications of, of, of all the other things, right, all the other little decisions that have to be accounted for, to, to me, this is the grandest view of God's sovereignty that I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, it to me, this posits a much more sovereign God than even the God, uh, so to speak, of Calvinism, if I can use it in those languages, uh, in that language, or the God of, I shouldn't say that because the Calvinists could affirm this, but but the God of exhaustive de- determinism, which is what I really take issue with. Um, right, right. The God of exhaustive determinism is inferior to the God yes. who possesses middle knowledge logically prior to the creation of the world. And um, in my um, humble and, of course, totally accurate opinion. Um, so I think, this is, that. I, I think that this is important. And, and just, again, as we kind of wind down to, to, to further uh, drive this home, it's not as though we don't see any example of this in the Bible. Um, and this is an example that's fresh on my mind, so I'll just give it, and you're, you're free to chime in with something different if you want to as well. Um, but I think of the uh, of the fact that determinism or that, that predestination is separate from foreknowledge. A lot of people want to conflate these things, and there are numerous reasons why they can't be, but, but just one is that the Bible um, has God foreknowing things that did not happen. Um, yeah, for one of the classic examples, and I don't know the whole story or the best way to relay it, but you can read in First Samuel twenty-three the issue of David and the yeah. men at, at Kila. Um, you see, you see David asking God, "What's going to happen if I do this?" And God tells him exactly right. what is going to happen. I think if he if if he goes out and fights, I think is the is the key there. Uh, what yeah. what's going to happen if you go out and fight? And it's like we're going to get destroyed. So what does right. David do? David leaves, and that's because yeah. that's because God. Knew what would happen if David had made the choice to go on, and so David so, did not make. So that let choice. me let me make this clear. That's an example of divine counterfactual knowledge. Yes. Right now, the question raises this: Does did God possess that knowledge logically prior to His creative decree? Right. If He did, then that counterfactual knowledge is transformed into middle knowledge, and so really. It comes down to is God always omniscient? Did God possess <laughs> all That's a good way knowledge? Right, that we see that He possesses in Scripture. Did He possess all of that knowledge logically prior to His created, creative decree? If He did, then some flavor of Molinism must be true. Right, right, exactly right. And, and this now, now this gets into issues of uh, you know, do we? Is is God uh, um, limited by our actions and stuff like that? I don't want to get into all that. That's beyond the scope of this podcast. You can check out some of the resources that Tim has developed for answers uh, to those kinds of questions. I've got all I think on that topic. Awesome. Uh, 
uh, did God limit himself? I can't remember the title of the article, but you can find it on my website. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Tim, man, it has been like such a pleasure having you here. Uh, thank you again so much for, for taking your valuable time today and, and, and coming on and discussing these issues with us. Um, just go ahead and reiterate, you know, where else can we find more about you? Um, and uh, if there's anything, any final thoughts you'd like to say, you can go for that now. Oh, cool. Thank you. Uh, again, let me promote my website, uh, freethinkingministries.com. Uh, you can also get there uh, if you don't want to type that much, just write in freethink105.com. That 105 stands for 105, 2 Corinthians 10.5, my favorite Bible verse. We destroy every <laughs> argument raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ, which would only be possible if you possess the libertarian freedom to do so. But um, yeah, so freethinkingministries.com or freethink105.com. Uh, you can also read a couple of my journal articles in Perichoresis. 16.2. I've got other journal journal articles in the works and hopefully my dissertation and other versions of it will be published. I'm talking with a couple big book publishers at the moment. So you can pray that uh, everything um, goes well there. And uh, yeah, I, I plan on having my dissertation one way or the other available to the public. So uh, you can find me on YouTube um, and just uh, on Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram, you know, all all the things, all the places, right? Yeah. All the places. So I go by the, uh, free thinking theist on Instagram. If you want to find me there, I just joined Instagram. So trying to, yeah, expand my horizons. Sweet. Very, very cool. Well, man, that's awesome. Thank you again so much for joining us, Tim, and that you guys take care. Hey, thanks, Steve. You're a great host. Thank you. Well, that's it for our discussion with Tim Stratton. I'd like to just reiterate my thanks to him for being willing to come on the show and discuss this issue of free will. It's an important thing. I realize not everybody agrees, but uh, again, I think it's an important thing. So so uh, thankful to have his influence uh, in my life and in my work and in my ministry. So thank you so much, the listener, for joining us this week and being in here for this discussion. Hope and pray that you will stick around, listen the next time. Of course, you can always go to steveshram.com to find out everything that's going on with our ministry and get more resources just like this, including other podcasts and videos and blog posts. I love you. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.